This is the Bible in One Year Express, day 68. What's in your heart? The Nobel Prize winner and most important Russian literary artist of the second half of the 20th century, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who was in prison for eight years for criticizing Stalin, wrote, The line separating good and evil passes not through states, nor through classes, nor through political parties, but right through every human heart and through all human hearts. We are all created in the image of God. Human beings are capable of acts of great love, courage, and heroism. Yet, not one of us apart from Jesus is without sin. Do you know what's in your heart? From Proverbs 6 People do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his hunger when he's starving. Yet if he's caught, he must pay sevenfold, though it cost him all the wealth of his house. But a man who commits adultery has no sense. Whoever does so destroys himself. Your heart and its weakness. All sin breaks God's law and is therefore serious. But there are gradations of sin. Some sins are far worse than others. The writer of Proverbs makes this point by using the example of a person who steals because he's starving. Yes, even this is wrong and there's a price to pay. But, the writer says, the consequences of adultery are far more serious. It leads to shame, jealousy, revenge, and to the destruction of lives, particularly the adulterers themselves. Soul-destroying, self-destructive, a reputation ruined for good. The writer says, jealousy arouses a husband's fury, and he will show no mercy when he takes revenge. Human nature has not changed in thousands of years. There's nothing wrong with sex or money, but there are many temptations that surround them both. Several of the laws of the Old Testament passage for today were developed to put boundaries around them, safeguarding their proper use. Lord, thank you for the gifts you give us and the boundaries that you have provided for their proper use. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. New Testament from Mark 14 Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then everyone deserted him and fled. They took Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests, the elders, and the teachers of the law came together. Peter followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. There he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they didn't find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. The high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses, he asked. You've heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fists, and said, Prophesy! And the guards took him 
and beat him. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, Surely you're one of them, for you're a Galilean. He began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately, the cock crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him, Before the cock crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. Your heart and its results. Sinful human nature led to the death of Jesus. The challenge is to live differently. First, be authentic. Judas betrayed Jesus with a kiss. He said, the one I kiss is the man. He went up to Jesus and kissed him. In the Greek, the word for hypocrisy is the same word as the word for mask. Masks were used in ancient Greece for acting. On the outside, Judas was wearing a mask of love for Jesus. In reality, he was betraying him to be crucified. The kiss was the ultimate act of hypocrisy. Joyce Meyer writes about what she calls the Judas kiss test. The test of being betrayed by friends we've loved, respected and trusted. Most people in positions of leadership for any length of time are likely to experience this. You need to forgive the offender and not allow him or her to cause you to fail or delay in doing what God has called you to do. Second, speak the truth. Because there's no evidence against Jesus, they had to rely on false testimony. Yet it appears that many were prepared to testify against him. Having worked as a barrister, I've observed firsthand that some are still prepared to give false testimony in a court of law. Third, fight corruption. Corrupt judges are still a feature of the world today. They knew or ought to have known that Jesus was entirely innocent, yet they all condemned him as worthy of death. It must be terrible to live in a society without the rule of law, where judges cannot be trusted. Fourth, identify with Jesus. I can sympathise totally with Peter's denial of Jesus. He was really determined not to do it, yet he failed. I know how weak my own human nature is. The account of Peter's denial can only have come from Peter himself, who with extraordinary openness and vulnerability reveals his own weakness and failure. When Jesus was in serious trouble, everyone deserted him and fled. However, Peter is brave and committed enough to make his way right into the courtyard of the high priest, albeit following at a distance. In sight of Jesus and the trial, I suspect that by this point I would have been with the rest of the disciples, halfway to Galilee. Yet there are haunting words about the self-indulgence of the great apostle Peter. While Jesus, his friend and leader, was taken to trial, Peter sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. As Peter saw what was happening to Jesus and what he was going to have to suffer, Peter increasingly distanced himself from Jesus. Having started in that direction, the next step was to deny him. Having set out on a course that involved lying, he ended up saying, I don't know this man you're talking about. I'm sure Peter didn't intend to go so far when keeping his distance from Jesus. But, as it is for all of us, one sin can easily lead to another. And before we realise it, we end up doing things we deeply regret. When Peter realised what he'd done, he broke down and wept. Lord, thank you for the encouragement that although even the great Apostle Peter failed and messed up, you forgave him, restored him and used him so powerfully. 
Thank you for your amazing grace. Old Testament from Leviticus 19 and 20 The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, Be holy, because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Your heart and God's law. God wants us to live lives that are pure and clean. We are to reflect who he is and thereby point people towards him. This part of Leviticus has been called the holiness code. Be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Because human nature has a wayward side, there's a need for law. As in any society, there are civil and criminal laws. Some of these laws are specific and directed at the problems of ancient Israel. Others are broad and generally applicable to most societies. The ceremonial laws are now obsolete. The dietary laws, having been superseded by Jesus and the sacrifices fulfilled in his death. The civil laws are not necessarily appropriate to other nations. Some were humane and others severe. They seem to have been necessary for the early stages of Israel's history, but they are not all of permanent or universal validity. The moral law, as expanded and deepened by Jesus and as illustrated in the apostolic letters, especially in their positive parallels to the law's prohibitions, is still in force as a revelation of God's will for his people. The moral law is summed up by Jesus as love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. This goes back to our passage for today. Love your neighbor as yourself. The moral law was that God's people should be holy. The rest of the law instructs us how to love our neighbor as ourselves and how to be holy. The moral laws applicable to us now would include the laws to protect the poor, the laws against racial discrimination, as well as the more obvious ones about theft, fraud and robbery and so on. There are often important principles that have very real applications today. For example, do not hold back the wages of a hard worker overnight. It's a challenge to us to pay all our bills on time. There's an increasing tendency to delay the payment of bills until the final reminder. God's people are called to be different. This is but one tiny example of what it means to be a holy people. To keep your heart pure, you need to turn away from the things that spoil your life. Among the most obvious sins listed here is one about being a dispenser of gossip and holding grudges. Keep confidences and try not to hold anything against anyone. Holding a grudge is like allowing someone else to live rent-free in your head. There are also warnings about the dangers of witchcraft. Avoid reading horoscopes, consulting psychics, fortune-telling, palm-reading, tarot cards, and every other kind of occult activity. If you've meddled with any of these things, you can be forgiven. Repent and get rid of the things associated with that activity, such as books, charms, DVDs, and magazines. Another aspect of the law is that it brings sin to light and leads to repentance and reliance on the grace of God. As I read all these laws, I see how hard they are to live up to, how far short I fall of God's standards, and how much I need His forgiveness and the help of His Holy Spirit.
Lord, thank you that you died to set us free from the law. Thank you that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Fill me with your Holy Spirit today and help me to live a holy life. Pepper adds, In Leviticus 19, verse 10, it says, Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the alien. When I was young, we lived beside a large apple orchard. We walked through it regularly. At harvest time, there would be one major pick of all the apples. After that, any fruit that had fallen or not ripened in time would be collected into large rotting piles. Letting the poor take the food may not make economic sense, but the biblical principle is that the poor should be provided for and that food should not be wasted.